Hey everybody, welcome to Saver Life. This is your host, The Banana Foodie. Uh, Saver Life is a mindset. It's a radio show, a podcast. The object is very simple. We're going to learn some new things. We're going to have some laughs, and we are going to love our community. Those of you who have been listening forever know that that is my goal. It is My goal is to support the community, to realize the community that you live in, no matter where that community may happen to be, is full of amazing individuals that need your love and support. Restaurant owners, wineries, breweries, distilleries, local artists, local musicians, local theatrical performers, your community, no matter where it is. I represent Ocala, Marion County here in beautiful Florida, hot Florida today. But of course, the mindset is everywhere. If you live in Austin, Texas, if you live in San Francisco, if you live in Seattle, Washington, the mindset is the same. That Your community that you live in is full of amazing people. It gets so frustrating when people sit around on a Thursday or a Friday or a Saturday afternoon and say, man, there's nothing to do, there's nothing going on in this town. I don't know what to tell you, but there's so much going on. Uh, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Of course, Roz's Cigar Emporium, I want to thank them. This is a good sponsor of mine. Robert Allen is a good friend of mine. He is the CEO of Cigars for Warriors. If you catch him at Raza Cigar Emporium, talk to him about that. They are a 5013C charity that sends cigars and care packages to troops deployed in combat zones all over the world. And of course, Fishhawk Spirits. My buddy Matthew at Fishhawk Spirits is an amazing guy. Florida's most award-winning distillery. I'm not making that up. It's official. Florida's most award-winning distillery. It's not even close. The, the platinum, double platinum, gold, silver medals, they've won a competition. Uh, it's, the list is too long for me to name. So pretty amazing place if you like whiskey rum vodka gin absinthe and whatever else he decides to create that's the place to go to of course this show exists with guests that's what that's what it's all about i have an amazing guest today he is brian mori did i say that right correct correct nice he is the i mean forgot what you i mean you're you're a sommelier you're the owner of uh morvino anything else anything else no, i'm missing uh, i'm a chef these days you're a chef you're a chef these days but your world began with wine i always offer my opportunity for the guests to talk a little bit about themselves what brought them to the path the journey that got them here to marion county and to this amazing restaurant morvino tell us a little bit about you know your past a little bit and you know where you grew up right if you're whether you're a native floridian or not and uh, go from there well, I grew up in Michigan. While going to Michigan State, I accidentally got a job at a wine bar. I filled in for a bartender at a wedding one night, and it just so happened the owner of a restaurant near my house in East Lansing was at the wedding. Unbeknownst to her, I'd never bartended before, but she thought I was a great bartender. She said if I ever wanted a job to go see her, and so I did. And I ended up working in a wine bar that had 20 wines by the glass. I knew very little bit about wine at the time, so uh, I had to... Uh, my first interest in learning about wine was just to figure out so I could help at the restaurant so when somebody asked for something I knew what they were asking for. Uh, over time I developed uh, an inclination. I, I liked wine. I would sit and do my accounting homework because I have a degree in accounting uh, at the restaurant at night and eat cheese scraps and do my accounting homework and learn a little bit about wine. Um, I did a lot of different things to put myself through college. I cooked, I waited tables, I bartended in 1992. Uh, we decided to go spend a winter in Florida, me and my girlfriend at the time, now wife. And we were just going to stay one winter down here and figure out where we wanted to go next. We started in Boca Raton, and uh, here we are, 20-something years later, we're still in Florida. Uh, I owned a restaurant down there with a partner. Uh, after getting out of that restaurant, uh, I had some money in the bank, and I took a job as a wine sales rep because at the time wine was my hobby, had a little money in the bank. Had decided that I wasn't going to do accounting and sit and do spreadsheets the rest of my life. I tried it. It really wasn't for me, but it was a good background to have being that I wanted to go into business. Um, so I got a job selling wine on the island of Palm Beach 
Uh, I parlayed that into three years later working for the importer of the same company. And 18 months into that, I left the company, um, took about half of the book and started my own import brokerage. And I did that for 18 years uh, until I ended up in uh, here at Morbino at my restaurant. This was something I always wanted to do. Uh, when I started my wine company, I copyrighted Morvino for a restaurant, uh, for a wine label, for a liquor label, uh, for a wine bar, uh, all in anticipation of doing this sooner rather than later. It took me a lot longer to get here than I thought, but it was always the plan of doing something like this. And uh, at 50, I decided if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. Do it. Um, the journey, the journey sometimes takes a little longer. So the, that really leads, leads me to the question of the name. You, you obviously the name Morvino does it ha does it have a meaning? Is it well, it, it's funny how it came out. We were sitting around my in-laws' house down in Boca Raton, and we were trying to come up with a name for the wine company. And my wife wanted to name the company More Vito. Her maiden name was Devito, so she wanted to take half of her last name and half of my last name and call it More Vito. My mother-in-law misheard her, and she said, did you say Morvino? And we looked at her and said, voila, <laughs> that's there it. it. Is. So that's, that's where Morvino, somebody misheard what we were talking about, and that's where it came from. We are currently in Morvino, recording this. It's, it's a beautiful place for those who have never been here. Uh, I was graciously had the opportunity to come to your wine dinner on Sunday, a couple, a couple of Sundays ago, five-course meal paired with some wines. And I love the fact that when you gave the presentation, when we had a conversation prior to that, something that you found very important was traditionally people on a wine dinner kind of thing, they'll find a dish and then they'll find a wine to pair it to it with. But you do the opposite. You, you love wine. So here's the wine. All right, now what can I cook to create with it? And I just want to, I want you to talk a little bit about some of that, that mindset of that, before we get into some of the wine and obviously the restaurant itself. Just well, I, one of the reasons, the way I do my dinners is I like to, I have a good following with the wine dinners, and I try to turn my customers on to wines that I think that are exciting, wines that I like. Um, if you look around the wine, uh, my restaurant, there's a l not a lot of big name wineries. I like to support the smaller guys. Uh, there are so many of them in the wine industry who, who, who are, you know, in the beginning or have struggled for many, many years who make great wine who just haven't been out there. So I'm always looking at things that I want to support, things that I want to turn my customers on to. Uh, the dinner that you attended, I had a lot of, for the first two wines were fresh, crisp, uh, the Vino Verde and the Rosé. Two wines I think that people need to drink in the summertime when it gets mm -hmm. so hot here or something. So that was reasons I picked those wines. The I mean, Vino Verde from Portugal was really good. Like, yeah. They were really good. Yeah. So and, and I'm a red I'm a red wine guy, so you know I, I love I love being having the opportunity to kind of explore different tastes and I say I'm a red wine guy. I mean, I if number one and number two are two reds. I'm, I'm a Merlot Cab guy. But I, when people ask me what my favorite wine is, it, I all of them. Like I just I enjoy them. I love that wine is important to you because I think one of the mistakes that most people make, a lot of people make, is pairing wine with a good meal, or making the mistake of choosing a wine that maybe doesn't complement the meat or the dish necessarily. And I just is that something you see? occasionally or or more than more than you more than you care to acknowledge yeah yeah and i try not to judge uh <laughs> wine is very subjective people always ask me and people get so intimidated by wine and what i try to tell especially a lot of these dinners is um what you smell and taste in a wine or what you perceive this wine is to you you know if the wine smells like well for instance uh, there's one wine uh, that uh, that always smells like um lilacs to me and uh 
but you know Floridians always say it, it smells like orange blossoms it's because you grew up in Florida, in Florida right. it's 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 whatever your history is uh, you know whatever you've perceived or whatever you've lived in your life um, you know when you stick your nose in a glass of wine you're not smelling lilacs mm -hmm. you're smelling what does that smell remind you, you of right. and it's the same with red wine whether it be you know red fruit dark fruit and and so what your past experience isn't going to be what mine is so you might get something different in wine and so the first thing i try to tell people is don't be so intimidated there are no wrong answers what you smell and taste is what you smell and taste it might not be the same for me but we've had different life experiences um, but as far as pairing food and wine yes i see a, i see a lot of that it, when i come out of the kitchen i try to help people with that i get a lot of that i have you know, a server will come up to the window, and if I'm not busy, hey, there's a customer over here looking for a wine, and they're going to have this. And if I have a minute, I'll jump out of the kitchen and give them three or four suggestions. Yeah, suggestions, you know, and why I would pair them. Yes. Uh, and, and you're right, wine is subjective. I, I've had some really good $8 bottles of wine. I've had some really bad, to me, bad $80 bottles of wine. I mean, it's, it, it's very subjective. And flavor and taste, it's like with all foods. Uh, you know, the reason I'm the banana foodie is because I don't like the taste of a banana. When I say that, people lose their minds. They're like, how do you not like a banana? Well, just for me, there's a texture, there's a taste, there's a, just a blandness to it that I don't, I don't understand, I don't get the banana. That concept goes with wine, goes with food, goes with everything. So I always encourage people to, to if you love what you love, wonderful. If that's, if we're all creatures of habit, if you happen to be uh, a wine have a wine preference then my, by all means but you should always try to expand your horizons a little bit maybe try something unique try something different uh, to me that's also very important uh, don't don't be such a creature of habit that you limit yourself and restrict yourself from the great taste and flavors that exist all over talk about Morvino how you kind of came to the where, this has been many places <laughs> this building has yep. been many things um, so what prompted the Morvino wanting to start this Morvino here um, well, actually, I st almost did this about eight years ago down in the villages with the Morse family, kind of. Just all of the rules, the regulations, the way they had it set up to be within the villages, it was just, it, it kind of scared me off. I really wasn't interested in doing that. Um, I knew that this business was for sale at the time, and uh, when I came in here and looked around, I knew that it had the bones. Uh, I needed to do some changes in the kitchen. And, the scratch kitchen I wanted to do but I knew that when I looked at it I, I this is kind of how I envisioned it and how it worked out so a lot of old brickwork a lot of old downtown in this the brickwork is early probably early 1900s original from you know the creation of the town of Ocala yeah well I was told it was one of the first buildings that was put back up with brick after the big, after wood, the big fire we became brick city because the fire burned down the wood town and they built everything 18, back in brick. 1884 1883 1883 is when the city burnt down and 1885 they rebuilt the city out of brick, hence the name Brick City. Uh, somebody got smart and said, you know, we should build it out of brick this time. Um, yeah, this this is one of those amazing buildings right next to the old bank, one of the oldest buildings here. Uh, downtown, centrally located, gotta love it. Like I said, the building has been several things. And I know you opened, if I'm not mistaken, right around COVID-ish time? Something yes, like we that. opened on February 7th and we were officially closed for dining indoors on March 18th. They let us stay open through St. Patrick's Day. Wow. And what a great we, way to start. Yes, it was <laughs> It was painful. It really was. Uh, I sat in here for about four days feeling fired for myself, trying to figure out what I was going to do. And at the time, uh, we probably had maybe 50 Facebook followers. It wasn't anything that I had spent much time working on because I've been so busy just trying to get the restaurant open. 
So I made a push and decided that this is, what is everybody else doing? I'm sitting here trying to run a restaurant and I can't have anybody here. So what's everybody else doing? They can't go anywhere. Everybody else was home looking at their phone. So I said, well, let's give them something to look at. So I went around and started taking pictures of everything I did in the kitchen. We came up with a bunch of family meals. Um, All the charcuterie meat that I had on my charcuterie board became the giant sub I would make on our homemade bread that would feed a whole family. uh, we started doing meatloaf, meatball, family meals, whole chicken family meals, and to start blasting it out on Facebook. And lo and behold, in about three weeks, we were Friday and Saturday were really, really busy. The time the first round of checks went around from the government, that Saturday, I think my daughter made almost five hundred dollars running wow. food out to the car. It was all that two people could, three people could do in the kitchen to wow. keep up with the orders. It was pretty, it was pretty amazing, and we grew our Facebook from fifty to. 1700 followers right. over you know great. It's great. a year great. and it uh, uh, every every I've talked to a lot of restaurant owners uh, throughout the I mean uh, that's what I do and everyone that I have talked to everyone has found uh, when you talk about COVID they have found the silver lining as it were uh, almost every one of them said yes COVID had the negativity we lost you know we lost staff we lost customers you know we lost food you know we we prepped and prepared and all of a sudden we were closed down so we had cases and cases and cases of food we had nothing to do with but all of them also said but it allowed us to rethink our business model it allowed us to structure our 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 food our menu narrow our menu a little bit in some cases instead of having these vast menus with all of these options they realized we could just narrow our menu cut some costs and still provide great food which was important so almost every restaurant owner said yeah there was a plus a little bit of a plus to you know to the restaurant world and the restaurant industry is now i don't want to say back but it certainly is very busy. Maybe you can go to any restaurant, including this one, on a Friday or Saturday night. Problem, however, seems to be employees don't seem to be coming back. And I just want to find out if you are also caught up in that, you know, short staffing issue that almost every restaurant seems to have. That's getting a little bit better. Uh, on your previous thing you talked about, uh, about the good that came out of COVID, it's amazing what you can do when you're backed into a corner. Absolutely. You know, what you can come up with and what you have to do when you don't have a choice and you're going to think on your feet. And uh, I think I learned about a lot about myself and about the people that work with me because we, we did have to rally. We did have to... Uh, attitude was a lot of it just you know keeping your chin up when we got you know all your you know I put a lot of time energy and effort into this and then have the rug pulled out from under you to be able to come out still standing, still standing it was, yes. was it was but yeah just being able to think I having to rethink everything that we did if uh, if you told me when we opened that I would still to this day being that as much to go food as we do now it was never part of my business plan the to go food but uh, after COVID, there was just so many people who have become accustomed to getting to-go food from my restaurant that it's become a nice little bump when right. the restaurant's full and we're, we're still putting out to-go it, orders. It becomes part of the business plan. Yes, exactly. You actually have to budget and account for product that you know are going to be sold to people that may never step into the restaurant. Or, well, hopefully at some point they will, but, but, but they will actually prefer the comfort. And I think that's another part of the shift. It, not necessarily in the restaurant world, but in the people world, in, in the customer world, there's been a shift of people realizing how important it is that they support local. There has been such a dynamic to me of people going home, and sitting at home because they couldn't work or, you know, working but under concerns of wealth and, and, and finances. They really are sort of narrowing their budgets and are realizing if we're going to spend money, we're going to spend it at places that 
you know, are going to give back to the community, that are important to the community. And that's one of my missions is to encourage people to continue to support local. Um, you know, I, I talk about the chain restaurants and I bash the chain restaurants. I've worked in the back of the house at some of the big chain restaurants. Uh, nobody's cooking anything. Nobody's, you know, I, chef, I, I made a joke at, when I did my million cups that Chef Mike is the hardest working guy at, at Red Lobster. Um, and if you don't know who Chef Mike is, it's the microwave. But they, it's amazing what they microwave at Red Lobster. You, on the other hand, and everything's fresh to the point where you go to the market, the downtown market, and shop. Yes. My, <laughs> my budget's up to 200 bucks a Saturday. i got to buy another basket. you got to buy another So basket. we buy all our beef local. Uh, it's a real struggle right now because her prices have gone way up. But I try to support the H&M Cattle Company as much as I can. So currently I have been getting my fillets from her, my New York strips, and uh, my ground meat. Um, I may have to start sourcing my tenderloins and my new uh, my fillet somewhere else because she, her demand has become so high that she really can't give me much of a discount and it's hard for me to make any money but her she's still very much in line with the New York strip and uh, I'm gonna bring on a ribeye steak from her too we hand cut all our steaks here so we just buy the sides of beef and hand cut everything ourselves the Harbison family out in Citra uh, brings me vegetables a couple times a week uh, I just uh, hooked up with a new hydroponic growers. They don't have a name for their company. Uh, I read the checks to Betty right now because they haven't named their company right now. But they're at the market every Saturday, and that's how I met them. So I buy some of my lettuces through them, and that gets me through the week. And then on Saturday, I have a big shopping list. I'm a big supporter of the Windmill Acre goat, chart, goat cheese and Yvonne. Uh, I use it in multiple recipes in my kitchen. Um, she asked me if I could, if she made some feta, if I could use it, and I said yes, and she made me feta. So I've got a couple things I've been doing with her locally sourced feta. So I try to support local as much as I can. Uh, one thing I did learn from COVID uh, with trying to get groceries from the big purveyors is that supporting local is important, especially when it comes to when the whole supply chain shuts down. Uh, and to this day, uh, three month, two and a half months ago, when Texas came back online. All of a sudden, we couldn't get food, some of the stuff we needed again, because all their restaurants opened up and the supply chain couldn't keep up. Started to catch up after Texas, then California came online again. And again, the, the, the chain of, uh, you know, started breaking down. And so to this day, you know, I, I have to use a lot more of the bigger purveyors to get the things I need. I used to do just one or two, but I have to use different ones now that I would never thought I would use only because... The guys that have always been there for me, if they can't get me something, I still have to find it somewhere and, else. And that's another, it's amazing when people think of the local restaurant, you know, they don't picture the business aspect of it. And it seems to be a, a lost point where, yes, I mean, you have to buy item, you have to buy material, and you want to ensure that you buy quality stuff. So you want to, you know, obviously find the best source. But you also have to meet the demands in the, of the customers that you have, which means you have to find a source that's going to be able to meet those demands. And like you said, it was tough. It, was, it still is tough. Uh, I know restaurant guys that you know can't find damn chicken wings to save their life. Yeah, or, it's a, or, and it's so, they're so expensive. <laughs> expensive I don't yeah. do wings, but yeah. I know that my guy was here yesterday, and he said that yeah. the wings are about as expensive as they've ever they've gotten, been, if you can if find them. If you can find them, yeah. And, and there's, there are other food items as well that, that, that people struggle with finding. So I love the fact that you use local. Hotel. My jumbo lump crab for my crab cakes just went up six dollars a pound. Wow! <laughs> so I had to increase my price from fourteen ninety five to seventeen ninety five. Just uh, nothing I can do about it. I haven't right. changed it on the menu, but I have, 
You know, if you order it, I have to have my server say it's now seventeen ninety five. When I reprint my menu, I'm not going to throw out all the menus. Because one of the things we're doing now is we we print menus daily, uh, a couple times a week, and they're just throwaways until COVID's completely gone. And then once that's over, we'll go back to reusing menus. But the whole COVID time, we've just had paper menus that are one use. Yeah, I have been to restaurants and I've seen little grease pens changes of prices for those yeah. very same reasons. Yeah. There's, you know, I went to a restaurant the other day and their shepherd's pie. Cot- their their cottage pie, even though on the menu it said shepherd's pie, which is a totally different thing for me. It drives me bat shit crazy when people put shepherd's pie on a menu when it's actually cottage pie. But it was like fifteen ninety nine, and I actually had to take a picture. Go, wow, fifteen ninety nine for a cottage pie, like, and it's just potatoes and beef, like, like it, wow. Yeah, <laughs> like, I saw wow. that post. <laughs> you saw that. I, I, well, we were on a jumbo lump crab cake. I yeah. went to Sam's. I went to every Publix in town just so I could buy some. And then I ended up, I found a purveyor that had some. And it went from last year at this time, I was paying $171 a case for the product. Right now, I'm paying $236 wow. for the same product. It's unbelievable. I think it was ham is the other one, too. People are struggling to get ham, like either you know whole ham anything like that the, the prices are like 200 percent higher than what it has ever been let's not talk about the bad stuff let's talk about the good stuff okay. <laughs> let's talk about i mean we talk about covid obviously covid is here um it is shifting like i said i think you know people are feeling a lot more comfortable uh you know coming into a restaurant and what i love about here you always seem to sort of be a little creative a lot with the menu uh, one of the issues that i've had with some restaurants here in Marin county is they they are very rigid and strict. Here's our menu, and if you like it, you like it. But you love to create. Is that yep. correct? Yep. Why, why do you like to create so much? Just because you think the customers want it, or is it because in your brain you yeah, just want to Yeah, I come create? up with something. <laughs> I, well, here's the thing is I think of something, I make it, and then that's one of the reasons I try to go to every table to see how they thought of it. You know, I really like to see what people think of my food. It's, it's something that's why I cook. I, 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 like, to, I like to see people... How they you know, react to right. it. You know? the, I've had the bacon wrap meatloaf. It's delicious. When we had the wine dinner, something I never thought I would, the words I would never say together was crawfish strudel. It was really good. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, if you want to tell what that what, what people are probably going, what the hell is crawfish strudel? So it's uh, it, it's a takeoff on a, on the Cajun seafood strudel I, that I run sometimes as a special. But uh, it's, uh, we take uh, you know celery, peppers, garlic, onions, saute them down. Um, but I use crawfish meat, uh, so it's you cook that down, and then you take phyllo dough, and it's a it's a very painstaking process to get. You take a piece of phyllo, you paint it with butter, you put a little parmesan between each layer, and you do that eight times. So as I think I told you at the dinner, it yeah. took me almost two hours to make 50 strudels for everybody. Um, it's a lot of work, but to watch people eat it, it's it's that's why we do it. I mean, and we finish, we wrap. So you put the meat, you put a little sharp cheddar in it, and then you roll it up in the phyllo dough, tight. Put a little butter on the top, and put it in the walk-in. You pop it in the oven, serve it with a little sauce. It gets nice and crisp and crunchy on the outside. The inside's warm and gooey with the cheese, a little bit of spice from the cayenne. Flaky Cajun. and flaky and amazing and. You know anything that contains the, the the Louisiana triad, the peppers and onions, like that's 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 always a good time. So many great dishes we, we had that night. The steak was uh, I, my mouth is watering thinking about it right now. What's what's future uh, as it relates to Morvino? Obviously, you're going to continue to hopefully you know grow and expand um, and change the menus and stuff like that. Are you going to try to and do more with the wine situation? I 
I would like to get my list up to 300 wines. We're about 160 right now. Um, we're brainstorming about where we can put it in this little <laughs> tiny building. But uh, that, that, that is our problem to sure. And uh, uh, I think my next investment will be in a little bit more air conditioning for the building to keep it cool. Before I start putting wine everywhere, I need to get a little cooler in here. Um, it's, uh, but what we do do is we have all the wines on display here, but nothing comes off the shelf and goes to a table. All the red wines that come to the table are at cellar temperature. We have four different chillers here, wine chillers, some under the bar, some up on the corner on the stage, one over there, but we take pride in making sure that everything comes to the tables at cellar temperature. Speaking of wine, that we're surrounded by bottles and bottles and bottles and bottles of it, what, in your opinion, or how can I word this question without being diabolical? Where does my palate lend? <laughs> no, not necessarily that. I, I hate asking this question because you're a sommelier. You've traveled the world and had some amazing wine. Where, what region to you is the best? I'm always drawn to Bordeaux and Burgundy. I think it's a lot because the first company I started with that specialized, it was uh, owned by Robert Fairchild, who was the first person other than a Frenchman to own a Burgundy Negotiant in France. And so our marching orders were to sell his wines and his import book. And I was on the island of Palm Beach, which is a very frank and file market for wine. Uh, they drink a lot of European wines. But that's where I've always... Even to this day, you know, if I would drink first growth every day, but I don't have that budget. <laughs> but I, I do, I do enjoy uh, all the great Pinot Noirs from Burgundy. Uh, I, I enjoy the wines from Pomerol and Saint Emilion. It's my favorite region of uh, Bordeaux. Don't know. I just like, you know, the taste profile. I like, yeah, I, I like those Merlot dominated wines the merlot that grows over there is quite different than the merlot that grows in the rutherford bench out here in napa but it's and that people don't realize when we talk about when we're talking about those changes we're talking about the grapes wine is made from such a varietal of grapes people don't understand like the region that we're talking about whether it's south american or argentinian or, or whether it's french or whether it's german or whether it's spanish wines uh, it's because of the grape and it, how important that grape is and something is very simplistic is I, and I learned something on the wine tasting that we did, and I actually wrote it down, was how much, you know, hopefully, I don't, hopefully I don't screw this up, you'll correct me, how much of the outer skin of the grape is pressed changes the flavor of the wine. Well, it's leaving the juice in contact with the skin. So all grape juice is primarily clear. There's a couple grapes that we won't go into that, that do have red juice that they use. Uh, one from Portugal, there's one that they grow a little bit out in California. Uh, but Primarily, all the grapes have clear juice. Like I said, we talked about it at the wine dinner. Pinot Meunier and Pinot Noir are two red grapes that they make like champagne with. Right. Um, so it's leaving in the contact with the skin. Um, the, the size of the grapes, so we talked about the, the small old vine grapes that have a very little bit of juice to skin contact are going to have more tannic structure. They're going to have more full body because there's more skin to juice contact. Right. So, um, you know, most of your tannic structure in red wine comes from leaving the grape and the juice in contact and it, the tannin is extracted from the skin as well as color. So that's... So what are your thoughts on the Florida muscadine? Well, you know, what's <laughs> funny is that uh, every grape in the world, almost every grape in the world has been grafted to the muscadine rootstock because of phylloxera. Phylloxera was a root mite. Um, Mite that existed in uh, America, nowhere else in the world, that lives on eating live grape vines until it kills the vine. Uh, the muscadine grape was resistant to phylloxera, so it didn't have any effect on it at all. So uh, when the uh, phylloxera got taken back to Europe and introduced to them, it wiped out Bordeaux, Burgundy, 
it went to Portugal, and eventually all of those vines had to be grafted to Native American rootstock, the muscadine grape, to prevent phylloxera. That's because it was resistant to the phylloxera root. See, when I when I talk about learning stuff, man, I'm learning more today than I think I have ever learned about that. I love it. I, I, that's so amazing. That because uh, a lot of people have the flack about the muscadine grape because it's a hardy Florida hot grape uh, so the wines are a lot more fruity here you know a lot of blueberry and a lot of stuff yeah. like that you know and that's just sort of the nature of the beast I, I don't want to talk about a certain winery that's south of us but not a fan like I'm not yeah. a fan of them I'm not going to mention their names but just not a fan of their particular wines I again I encourage people something that I wanted to talk to you about actually was there has been a shift to me and uh, especially in the, in, the, in the wine world and Publix and the department, you know, Total Wine. Wine companies have gotten very good at putting nice shiny labels on and people buy wine. I know people that buy wine because of the creative labels. Uh, 19 Crimes or whatever does a thing where their label actually interacts with an app on your phone and, and stuff like talk that. To you. <laughs> yeah, so it's like... Snoop Dogg will tell you why his wine's so good. Yeah. <laughs> so, so to me, like, should people be more aware of what's inside the bottle as opposed to the shiny label that's on the outside? Of the yeah, bottle? the Australians were the first ones to figure this out for the Americans, uh, uh, and they started putting critters on their labels because cr- Americans buy wines with kangaroos and koala bears and everything else. Uh, but yeah, Americans are fixated with what it looks like and with very little other knowledge. It's kind of scary sometimes. And the other thing is in the winemaking world, especially in the low end uh, it's more of a recipe anymore i mean there's a thousand ingredients you can add to wine in america that you can't do in some of the other countries from liquid smoke to mega purple to uh, vanilla is a huge vanilla extract is a huge yep. thing addition that a lot of winemakers do to give to give wines a very sweet kind of creamy flavor well it's like, it's vanilla like, it's is vanilla. a something that is a flavor profile extracted from using expensive french oak but if you can't afford $1,600 for a French oak barrel, well, why don't you put some vanilla in it and maybe you get the same. same and the other thing is, is that they put oak stabs in stainless steel tanks. So they have these holders that hold oak into the wine. So the wine may not go into a barrel, but it's in oak is submerged into the wine. And then again, there's, other, there's, there's just a lot of tricks now to make wine palatable at the very low end. And some of that will affect you if you drink too much of it. The hangover <laughs> that comes with some of those wines is... I, I know somebody that I do I do a food tour, and I actually, we, well, you are one of our stops on the food tour, and um, she mentioned about the fact that every time she drinks red, red wine, she gets just a massive headache. And I think it, a lot of that has to do with probably what she was drinking, the product that she was drinking, yeah. and, you know, and, and maybe some of the additives and preservatives that are yeah. in those wines. That yeah, some people with. say they're sulfites. I get somebody in here probably once a week that says, <laughs> They need a wine without any sulfites in it, and there are no wines without any sulfites. Sulfites are a byproduct of fermenting sugar into alcohol. So all wines have sulfites, but some of the wines, they do add sulfites as a preservative. Uh, I think a lot of people who can't drink red wine, I think it's the tannin structure more than anything else that affects them. I mean, there's more sulfites in an order of fries from McDonald's than there are in a case of any red wine you're going to try. Interesting knowledgeable fact. I love it. I'm learning so much. Like, I'm so glad I had a chance to talk to you. Something that I have always found interesting, and we talked about a little bit, was this misperception about food and dining and fine dining. And I just want you to sort of identify what Morvino is all about and relates to the dining experience. Well, we are upscale dining as far as what our menu is, rack of lamb, lots of chops, fresh fish. 
We do a sear tuna. If you want to come in here and get a single vineyard Napa cab, two racks of lamb, and dessert and spend $110 a person or more, you can. If you want to come in here and get two burgers and a bottle of my Il Bastardo Sangiovese that's 25 bucks on the menu, you can get out of here for 60 bucks. 60 bucks. Yeah. So um, we like to say we're not pretentious good food. Yeah. I mean, I try to appeal to everybody. It, I have 35 wines on my list under $35. Wow. There's not too many wild people in town that have 35 wines on their list. I have 35 wines under $35. I'm not trying to amass a collection of great, expensive wines everybody can come and look at and yeah, never this buy. This isn't your personal uh, you know, wine cellar. This is an opportunity for you to sell what you love and what you appreciate. And you're knowledgeable to where if somebody comes in and says, I, you know, I just don't know, like, I don't know, come talk to you. And, and, and I'm sure they can come and talk to you and say, you know, what are your thoughts? Here's here's what I'm cooking. Here's what I'm preparing. I want to get a nice bottle. We're celebrating something. I'm I'm cooking. You know, maybe some linguine and pasta. What do you suggest? Kind of a thing, or or I'm cooking some sirloin steaks. I'm cooking some tomahawk steaks on the grill. What do you suggest? I'm sure you'd be more than helpful. Some ideas. Yeah, and th and that's what I do, and, and that's kind of what I hang my hat on. I have, you know. I love the blends in Bordeaux, but even the blends out of California, the Bordeaux blends. Yeah. And there are some, the thing about America is uh, we can take four Bordeaux grapes and blend it with a Syrah grape that's, you know, from the Rhone Valley. So there's some interesting blends coming out of California. Uh, uh, one of my favorite wines of all time, I don't, you may have heard of it, it's called Bacon, uh, if you've ever heard nope. of it. Uh, it's a five wine blend. It's uh, like Syrah, Petit Syrah, Merlot, two other things. Um, I love it. Love, yeah. I love it. It's, it's called bacon. One of my favorite wines, uh, and it's one of those blend wines that gets you know has a lot of different things going on into it. It's well, pretty amazing. I, I do have a lot of wines here. There's a lot of labels of people that either I know the winemaker, I know the owner, I know the importer, and I know the wines because I've been in the business for a long time. But there are also a lot of wines here that I had never tasted before that were on my list. But there's not a wine on my list I don't either know or I haven't tasted. And I pride myself on that. And some of the salesmen get hung up. They want to sell me something. I'm like, well, bring me a bottle. I'm like, well, do you need to taste it? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, and that's your course. job. I'm, of course. Uh, what's funny is some of the, as being someone who was in the uh, street salesman and import business, I'm, I'm kind of stingy about the way I, I mean, I'm very particular about the way you call on me and what you do for me because I know what it took to be a successful wine salesman. And uh, if you're not going to do it, then I'm you've not going to buy a whole. You've seen all the tricks. Yeah, if you're not going to, if you're not going to, if you're not going to, I had some guys come in here the other day, great guys, I like them, brought some great French wines in. All of them were, the reds were too warm and the whites were at room temperature, you know, and I was, was kind of, I was very nice to them and I said, listen, I'm very busy, I will sit down and taste wine with you whenever I can, but if I'm going to take the time, at least show up with your wines chilled True, and ready yeah. to go. Yeah. Because yeah. he's like, well, we're busy, it's hot. I know, but I did your job. <laughs> yeah. like, cooler in the trunk with some ice on it. Yeah. Put the whites on the ice, put the reds on top. So the reds are a little, a little cool and the whites yeah. are ready to go. Yeah. I mean, it's not hard, but I mean, if you don't put the effort, you're never going to sell me any wine. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Has there ever been a wine that somebody said, hey, man, you got to try this. It's the most amazing thing I've ever tasted in my life. And you taste it and went... Yeah, I've had some of that. I'm not going to mention any names. Oh, there's no. some, there's some, there's some, there, there are some big wine names that uh, out of California that I, I'm not particular to. Their, and I think they're bad. They're just not for <laughs> me. Not for you. That's what I think is important. To, that's what I clarify all the time on every post. Like my experience when, especially if I do a restaurant review, I, I, I always end it with like my experience, my flavors, my taste may be different to you. So please go out and, and take an opportunity. 
something that I always talk when I get an opportunity to talk about restaurant owners or talk to restaurant owners. Something that I always want to talk about is the world of social media. How do you survive in a world of social media? Oh, it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard. So many people that go on and complain about things. It's just, um, you know, my opening weekend I had a, uh, when I first opened. Uh, I had a woman go online and diss me because I had someone wearing a hat at the bar and a t-shirt. I have had uh, just the most insignificant, non-important things uh, people will go on about. I, we had a super busy night a while back and I had, uh, we got what happened uh, during the Kentucky Derby is that everybody who was done eating wanted to stick around for an extra 20-30 minutes and have a drink and watch the race. We hadn't anticipated that so our restaurants got, reservations got backed up. And somebody had to wait 25 minutes or 30 minutes for their table. And she went on in line and said, we don't have honor reservations. I'm never going there again. And I'm like, <laughs> wow. I mean, it's, we just, it's, yeah. I'm, I'm not magic. And <laughs> yeah. this isn't magic. Do our best. And if anybody knew really how hard we work here and in our kitchen to do everything, it just kills me when somebody local, goes on. And, yeah. and, and A local restaurant has been dealing with the last two days. I'm not going to mention their names, but literally the same conversation took an extra 15 minutes like 15 minutes like really you're going to go on a line and bash and support a, a locally owned independent restaurant because you had an extra 15 minutes that you had to wait that is the most petty insignificant and it's like it's it's amazing how that negativity spreads oh yeah i won't go back there again blah 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 like you know you guys when i say you guys local restaurants are fighting to to survive you're short staffed minimal staffed short staffed uh, high, high, prices are more expensive I, I think it's important for people to understand and one of the things that we always talk about at the end of the, at the end of this i give you an opportunity to just kind of talk about what your passion and what your interests are but I think one something that it seems to be missed is have respect and have patience and have appreciation for the hard work that seems to be going on in any local restaurant. Um, there are local restaurants that I don't like. Uh, I don't. There, I refuse to eat in them. I just I've never had a good experience in them. But you will never know their names because I'm not going to go. I'm not going to bash them. I'm not going to publicly say I don't like this. Or when I <laughs> let me paraphrase that. They're locally owned restaurants. I will bash Olive Garden and Red Lobster because, I've, like I said, I've worked in the back of the house and you know I, everything's frozen in my when anyway. But like locally owned restaurants, I will never publicly bash them because it, it, to me it's just certain, it's very self-serving and very insignificant and I, I don't get it. And and I I always ask about the social media aspect of it because you're right. People don't understand that a simple post, a simple one-star review can alter the dynamics, alt- completely alter the dynamics of, of a restaurant's success. Yeah. It's fru- and I'm sure it's frustrating. It's got to be frustrating uh, for you guys. It's, you know, we can have a perfect night and one red review will bug me for three days. Yeah. You know, I, I think, you know, I try to come out to every table. I know there are nights I'm so busy I can't back in the kitchen. But come out to every table every night and make sure they enjoyed everything. And if people get quiet, I'm like, please be honest with me. I can't make if there's something wrong. I want to know about it. I can't make it better unless you tell me. Right. And you're not going to hurt my feelings. You know, I did my best, but if I miss something, please, please by don't. all means, tell and, me. And and I think that's the other end of that equation is if there was if there is ever an issue, every restaurant owner, and I'm sure I'm sure yourself included, uh, if there's an issue, you know, address it there say hey you know we just didn't have a good experience every restaurant owner i know of will be glad to make it right yeah. in some way or another whether it's a new meal whether it's a reduction of the bill anything they will fix it uh, yeah. because they want you you and they want to 
ensure that the product that they're serving and the, the things that they're doing are are the best that they possibly can be. And, and I don't think anybody's anybody's but different than that. Well, the review I told about the person who was upset that they had their way, the food was great, she said. Best rack of lamb I ever had, but I had to wait 20 extra minutes and I'm never coming back. There's some people I'm never going to meet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I have to, I, I kind of have to keep that on in the back of my mind is that no matter what I do for some people, they're always going to find a, something. So. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love having a conversation with you. I love this restaurant. Uh, I, I need to come here more often. Uh, I know in June you're going to be doing another wine. Yeah, and we're going to have uh, this one. I won't be doing the whole MC. I have somebody from the Jack's Three Wines Winery. It's a small little winery out in Calistoga. I think they have 10 or 12 acres of Cabernet, and they source some fruit. Um, they got Kurt Bengi is a superstar. He's like a rock star winemaker who makes uh, consults with a bunch of different people. I actually tasted all the wines today with one of the with their um, Southeast Regional Manager, uh, Callie, who's a friend of mine. So I'll be writing the menu here pretty soon. But even though I haven't written the menu yet, I think I only have about 10 spots to sell. We're already at 32. And we don't have a lot of big tables. And if we don't have a lot of big tables, we try to keep it under 40. I think I'm going to, I want to make sure I talk to you or somebody because I want to book two for, for okay. myself. And make sure I at least get those spots on there. Um, if you get an opportunity, for those who are listening, come out. It's a really great experience. So it's a quiet, intimate Sunday where you know the restaurant is only open to those who are participating in this event. Uh, some great wine options, some some great you know, like I said, it's five courses, a few other other options as well. And uh, the last one that you had, that you were gracious to allow me to come to was, I mean, everything was delicious. Everything was amazing. Yeah. Brian, I always end this with an opportunity to give the guest, you, an opportunity to talk about where people can connect with you via social media, where people can connect with you on the restaurant. Uh, what are your passions? What are your interests? What are the things that you want to continue to let the people that are listening, and you know, like I said, people listening everywhere, if they come into town, if they're from some other city, if they're coming, what is going to make you unique and different to allow people to want to come here? One of the things we do here is I start every morning making bread. Uh, I get here at 7. If I want bread for lunch, i got to get here at 7 and get the bread going and get the dough rising. We make bread here every day. We make two different kinds of focaccia. I make Italian bread for the table and also for sandwiches. You know, we have something as simple as chicken fingers on our menu for, it goes into a couple of our sandwiches. It can be ordered as, with our hand-cut fries. As, but we don't buy chicken fingers. We buy chicken breasts. We bread them ourselves. Our coconut shrimp, 95% of those places you'll go get coconut shrimp, they buy frozen coconut shrimp and throw it in the flyer. I buy U12 shrimp and we hand bread them every night. And if we run out, it means we have to stop and bread more. And it's a lot of work, but that's what makes it that much better. And you can go across my whole menus that way. We might wash lettuce twice a day for salads because I'm not going to use the lettuce I washed yesterday in today's salads. It's just, we try to keep everything fresh. We try to do all our salad dressings are made in-house. Everything we do, we try, you know, I bet you I have a very high labor cost per, per customer just because of that. everything we do, we do in-house. Uh, we can have up to six desserts in-house at any given time. They're all made in-house. I don't buy any of my desserts. Uh, I just made an Oreo cookie cheesecake. It just came out of the oven. And when I'm done with this, I got to go put some white chocolate on the top of it for service tonight. So we really pride ourselves on our food. And like I said, all my beef is so sourced locally. The only thing that isn't is my rack of lamb. I'm 
really like the New Zealand rack of lamb. It probably has to do with the fact that I've been there a couple times, and I just think they're, I love the flavor profile of their rack, so that's where we get our rack of lamb from. But like I said, we all our sauces, everything we do in-house. Uh, I, like I said, please, everybody listening, come out to Morvino. Um, you know, I, I know dinner service is starting to pick up. People may be listening in here. Hear the door kind of coming, opening and filling up. Uh, people come in here to enjoy. Um, I want to thank you. I know you have some stuff that you need to get back into the kitchen to do. So just want to thank you for the opportunity to talk and have a conversation. Uh, I, I love this place. Uh, you've been gracious on the food tours. You've always come out and talked to the people that are on the food tour about, you know, what you are creating. Um, the uh, nachos. The Chinatown nachos. Yeah, man, they're, they're unbelievable. And it's always just a pleasure to have a conversation. I've learned stuff from you i want to make sure we stay connected because i want to continue to learn more about wine one of the things that i've always wanted to do is is become more knowledgeable in the wine world i think i do okay but i I, just based upon the conversation we had tonight i there were i learned stuff already so for those of you who are listening please come out to morvino please support local in any dynamic it's very important i want to try to encourage people that's the con that's what i do that's what i want to do uh, save your life as a mindset. Get out. Stop sitting around on a Thursday, Friday, or Saturday night and saying there's nothing to do. There's nothing going on in this town. Uh, you can't do that anymore. Uh, o- Ocala is growing. Uh, 150 people a week are moving into this city, uh, this community. You have to go with the growth and ex- find some new options and explore some new taste. Try something different that maybe you've never had before in your life. I've never had a crawfish strudel until last week, and it was pretty damn delicious. The only other way I've ever had crawfish was the pretty traditional boil way. So to have it actually contained in a, in a filo dough strudel was pretty amazing. Pretty, pretty damn delicious. Pretty unique. Well, yeah, check it. If you want to see what we're going to do for specials every day, you can follow my Facebook page. Every day I post my specials and what's going on at the restaurant at Morvino Ocala on our Facebook page. So. All right. Remember, this is the Banana Foodie saying save a life. A couple of things to remind everybody. One, ranch dressing does not go on everything. Remember, stop squishing your hamburgers. That drives me crazy when people are cooking a hamburger and they squish squish all the juicy goodness out of a good hamburger. Shepherd's pie is not cottage pie. And save your life.